you the best. Thank you for downloading episode eight of For Our Edification. And thank you for downloading this episode of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, and thank you for downloading, especially if you have uh, seen us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Pod Paradise, or Listen Notes. It's a right to bear arms kind of episode of For Our Edification, which, by the way, right to bear arms is W R I T E to bear A L M S. This is Halima's segment when she talks about the power of giving and how giving can build sustainable communities and the the emphasis being on sustainable mind you well this is a throwback interview you know before for our edification i had a podcast called the eddie francis podcast show and this was one of the first episodes that we did in 2015 halima had a great conversation with two experts in black philanthropy vince bayon and daryl lester you can find out more about them on the episode write-up. But as for now, enjoy. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. I'm happy to welcome uh, Vince Bayon, who is a proven development professional with over 25 years of success in the areas of leadership and organizational resource development. And Vince uh, is a development fundraising professional, workshop facilitator, and diversity recruitment specialist. Um, I also have with me Daryl Lester, who is a social entrepreneur, community philanthropist, and has been doing this work for many, many, many years and added to this conversation and in his insight. And uh, Daryl Lester, has uh, been one of those individuals, actually both Daryl and Vince have been one of those individuals that have helped me significantly in my own path of, of understanding charitable giving and volunteerism, and they are great mentors of mine, so I'm delighted to have them on the show. Welcome, guys. Welcome, Vince. Welcome, Daryl. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it, Lima. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. So um, let's get right to it. I want to talk about black philanthropy and volunteerism. Can you guys give us some insight on, uh, put some historical context around that so that we can really get an understanding of what the history of black philanthropy and volunteerism has been? Yeah, I'm going to let Daryl go ahead and and take the point on that one. (laughs) Uh, He is is our expert in residence. Yes. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but uh, I, from 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 my lens, um, when when I when I think about that term, you, it's almost like a term you have to demystify because to me, what it boils down to is is how black folks take care of each other, right. whether that is an investment of time, that's one's investment of no, one's know how, and it could be some resource, whether it be clothing, food, shelter. And, you know, it it can also come to to mean the giving of some type of treasure. Um, Mm -hmm. But from the time, I think, that when we go back far enough to to when we think about where our ancestors came from, you know, there was a communal aspect um, that was taking place before, you know, we were enslaved. Mm -hmm. And we didn't lose that essence of communalism even when we were dispersed through the Caribbeans and to the islands or when we came to the Americas. And so mm-hmm. that, that notion of helping and giving took on a form of what I'd call survival. And that was then philanthropy or giving to help a group survive. 
when they were in a very, very uh, critical time in their own space, trying to stay alive. So it was mm-hmm. the it, so in that case it would have been the sharing of when when one person was when a family was dispersed and kids were were broken up, then somebody at some other place and then this time plantation or or island or sugar plantation took care of somebody else's kids as if they were their own. So everything that was done then was was done in the act of how do we survive here? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. from there, just to fast forward, it just evolved from there. You know, that, that survival then became one of how do we begin to help help us, to, whether that is education, whether that is, you know, trying to, trying to get folks who are moving out of a state of, of slavery to freedom, what it all took for people to, to have a school to go to. And people gave land to, to build their first schools for black folk to go to or people, people educated people in their houses. So to, to, to not to belabor it, but I think it, it evolved from there. And mm-hmm. what we see today is a manifestation of where it came from. And it came out of a space of survival. But because of different economic situations and the conditions we live in, it's still a term that is it still needs to be unpacked and demystified for people. You know, you mentioned that it, it came out of a survival or necessity for survival, but uh, just thinking about it, is is it possible that this is something that we carried over with us um, and, and this is a part of our DNA, even pre-slavery? I, I would say there's no, no question, no doubt about that. Um, this whole, you know, the key word or operative word is communal. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, when you research those or those of us who are familiar with aspects of African society, African culture, we know mm-hmm. that everything revolves around this idea of the village. And uh, there's a, a saying that, that Brother Darrell first, intru- it was the first one that introduced, introduced me to was that uh, I am because we are, and we are because I am. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's been a very strong, uh, that's been at the core of who we are and who we we are and who we've been and who we are as a people. So there's no doubt about that, that it's not something that just started, uh, you know, or happened when we came or brought to the shores of America or or had to endure all of the the various manifestations of, of, of slavery, the Middle Passage, the, you know, right through uh, the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, mm-hmm. It is something that was definitely a part of our DNA prior to that experience. And I think that we've held on to it without question. Yeah. And, and you know, as I, I want to kind of get into some of the misconceptions, and I think that some of the things that um, we have been told or some of the things that we may believe about giving and about volunteerism, um, you know, this, this narrative that you're telling us is, is very counter to that because I, I know for myself, um, before I really got into the field and before I got a better understanding of, of the importance of culture and giving, I would traditionally see certain groups of people as recipients and then other groups of people as donors. So um, some of those misconceptions that, that exist within black philanthropy, can you, can you talk about that? Well, so, Aleem, I think, you said, I think you talked about the narrative. And I think one of the things that comes to mind for me is that people think there's a single narrative around what we think of as philanthropy and that that narrative 
which to me turns into what I call a script. And that script mm -hmm. is what people go by. And that and the script that I've seen that we pushed against Vince and I is the script that those like you said, those there's some that are producers and there's some that are consumers or receivers. And that that tends the receiver tends to be painted to look like us. Mm -hmm. as, if we, mm -hmm. as if we know nothing about being on the producing side of that. And I think as we, you know, there's that old proverb that says until the lion has his own historian, the tale of the hunt will always yeah. glorify the hunter. And so uh -huh. in philanthropy, unless folks begin to tell their own story from their own perspective about giving in philanthropy, then we, somebody else will tell the story and we will always be seen as the recipient of somebody else's, even when we are giving in multiple ways in our communities. Yeah, and, and really contributing to and, and managing that narrative and, and a lot of ways of, of being involved in, in doing that is certainly to be the donor or to be the volunteer and to, to kind of in many ways be public about it and let people know. Um, something that I've experienced in, in fundraising, particularly uh, within community, various ethnic communities, is this sense of I don't want anyone to know that I've given. I want to do it with a sense of, of anonymity. Uh, can, you, can, can you speak to that as, as a giving behavior, uh, Daryl? Well, so when I hear that, I go back to, you know, you remember when things were kind of underground. If you really mm -hmm. were public about helping somebody when we were in a, uh, a situation of crisis, you could be killed for it. it mm. And so this part, I think this was this is what makes this conversation sometime like you're pulling back the layers of an onion is that. So mm -hmm. so I, I understand when people say whether they're humble or they don't feel sometimes people feel that what they're giving doesn't really belong to them. They're just being a good steward of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's a part of us that do that doesn't want to talk about it from that perspective. But then there's a part of me that says if we don't talk about it, then people will always tell the story from the perspective of it's a Gates or it's a, uh, a Ford or it's a or if it's some 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 philanthropic white male. Right. Instead yeah. of, and, and if you do and when we do lift it up, I think, Vince, I heard you say this sometime when we do step up, we say, you know, people will come at Well, who they think they are. <laughs> because they stepped up the step to say, I did give something and I didn't give out of my surplus. I gave out of my substance. And so I, I yeah. think that opens up too, and, and not to go too much into it, you know, for this conversation. But, you know, even as we talk about this whole idea of, of and, and process of black philanthropy within that conversation is also a conversation about our relationship with money and wealth how it moves, how we've been trained uh, and taught that it should move, um, how, it, how it should be managed, and who should manage it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I think that's a very critical part of uh, the landscape, particularly when we talk about uh, demystifying black philanthropy. Um, right. I think that's a, a, a critical, it's a critical conversation because like you, like you said, Halima, I think one of the, uh, the challenges that we've had is this idea and notion of being more public. Right. Uh, and I think that being more public also then requires, a, would, would promote a, a greater sense of accountability yes. with mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. as well. 
but when it is done in a way where um, it is not, uh, or, or there's some discomfort, I'm going to use that word, with mm-hmm. who the who the, the the giver is and and how they may be viewed, then again, I think there's an aspect of that that diminishes the um, uh, what's the word that I'm thinking of the the need to hold someone accountable. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And that that in essence, you know, we we talk or as as you mentioned that I think about uh, people's perception of their value um, and the the value of the gift that they've given and and extending to your perception of your value is having the permission to hold organizations accountable and and being able to ask questions along with your giving and and really um, insisting that the gift that you con- that you contribute of your time and of your finances be used in the way that it's, it's intended. Uh, so I, I think that that point of of your relationship with money and and really understanding that it, it goes very deep and it, it even goes deep into giving the money away and giving giving away of your time. All right. Exactly. So what are some of the trends that we're seeing? I know, uh, Vince, that you, you've been working in fundraising for several years, and you've particularly been working uh, within historically black colleges and universities. What are some of the trends that, that you've seen, Vince, and, and even if there's a, a new generation of donors emerging, what, what have you been experiencing there? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, you know, a, a trend can either be, you know, uh, an upward trajectory or, or something less than. Right, and right. In all honesty, in all honesty, I am seeing a trend of disconnection um, mm. with HBCUs, within the HBCU community. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of dynamics that are happening within the HBCU environments that I believe are contributing uh to the situation. Um, and again, I don't want to paint, paint the landscape with a very broad brush. And I, I'm right. talking from my experience, but also how mm-hmm. I, you know, H, the HBCU environment is very dear to me. I'm a product of an HBCU and I've mm-hmm. worked on at least three different campuses. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, again, the, the, the elders uh, in, uh, in our community, who who have uh, the pioneers of the HBCU experience really for got it uh, and this mm-hmm. whole idea of laying a foundation and 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 a roadmap for those coming behind um, was solid and there was a strong right. commitment uh, over the years. More recently, now I don't know if that's the same sentiment that's out there. Uh, mm-hmm. When I think about the percentages uh, that are being reported with alumni giving, uh, mm-hmm. they really leave a lot to be desired. Uh, HBCU giving averages somewhere between, uh, I believe the last numbers I saw was between, a, a, I'm going to say 7 and 11 percent, um, yeah. 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 somewhere in there, which tells me there's a lot of, of work to be done. And, and, and what's happening behind that. I don't think anybody can really pinpoint one specific thing. Um, and so, um, you know, the efforts 
from the HBCUs themselves have 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 increased, um, but at the same time, there have been they they have been the schools themselves have been a little bit slow in understanding that this philanthropic process that this campaigning process I'm going to use that word has has morphed into a really sophisticated and technological beast mm-hmm. that requires new skill sets, new eyes with new vision and how to make it work. I don't yeah. know if I answered yeah. the question, but <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm glad that you raised that because, uh, you know, I, I do a bit of research um, on HBCUs and, and giving and alumni giving and the things that you raise um ring true across across many different schools and many different institutions. Um, and, you know, the point of understanding the sophistication of, of managing uh, donor expectations, managing your capability to give, uh, if you compare uh, predominantly white institutions and, and historically black colleges and universities, um, there, there is a, a learning curve there. There's, there's a gap there, and some of it has been noted in, in the research and in the, the literature that it can be attributed to some organizational challenges. It can be um, a lot of it has to do with, like you said, the, the, the expertise and, and the training because this thing has evolved, as, as we've discussed earlier. It, it has really evolved in, in a way that. Uh, there's a very sophisticated model to to the, the point where we're talking about even the language has changed. Philanthropy, you know, before yes. people were just saying give, now now right. it's philanthropy. Right. Exactly. Now, Daryl, being an alum of a, a small liberal arts college, a predominantly white institution, has had have you seen a different experience in, in how they cultivate donors and how they engage with donors? Yeah, um, and and I and, and I've and for me, I've had to, you know, really pull pull back some layers on it because, you know, what can happen is, as I start to compare what my experiences has been with what my friends' experience have been at some HBCUs, I recognize sometimes it comes down to it might come down to a resource, right? That they might have more mm-hmm. resource people that can go do more asking or cultivating. Right. And then I think then the other part is it comes down to some level of strategy that's rooted in some cultural competency. So, mm-hmm. so do, do because here's a, here, I'm going to use Wofford for example. Here's a Wofford that has 2,000 students, but what was interesting with a total uh, enrollment of 2,000 students, the new president that came in last year just had, um, a couple months ago, a black alumni summit. Wow. Now, there's some larger schools, but Donnie, what's, who don't even have that? And so, th- to me, there's a there's a, a deeper lens and understanding of what the demographic trends are saying, and some mm-hmm. people are saying, "I better ramp up to engage the folks who are traditionally painted as not the ones who give, to engage them to be more engaged." Not saying they don't give, but I better meet them where they are, right? While they have while they have a dime before they get their their next next. Um, level of giving people want to cultivate them now and i think it's a difference becomes a difference of how much resources we have to cultivate or not cultivate 
And, and that, that's an excellent point. And, and, and let me add to that, because that opens up a pathway to, to conversations around, again, what I see as a strategic approach to giving and philanthropy, as opposed to operating from what I, I, I call a crises and, and, and compassionate approach to uh, a worldview of philanthropy. Um, and, and just to kind of break it down, I, I think a lot of times the whole um, um, sentiment of giving is based on um, the idea that this is the right thing to do. It's, you know, very altruistic uh, reasoning and compassion that drives it. Um, however, also, though, um, there's something that's just as equally important. When you when you go down that path and that 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 what is equally as important is being strategic um, um, without fear. Uh, and, and Halima, you talked about language. So um, mm -hmm. people using language now, like not only philanthropy, but invest, you know, yes. investing in something that there's not going to be a uh, uh, tangible uh, or mm -hmm. quantifiable return, but you're investing. Um, mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. as, as Daryl gave the example, there's a strategic, the, the example he used with Wofford, that president said, i got to be strategic in how we do this. We've got a whole mm -hmm. new generation of folks who may not, um, who, who may even be suffering from compassion fatigue, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm given to causes all the time because of some disaster or somebody's in crisis. Mm -hmm. And after a while, it is just too much. Um, right. But now we, 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 we've got to push some different buttons as well in terms mm -hmm. of strategy. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. And, and I wonder, and I, I've not seen the numbers on this, but I wonder just from a comparative uh, perspective, how much is given out of compassion and crisis versus how much is given to rebuild or to establish? Um, you know, when you when you start to look at it through a strategic lens of of investing versus I'm saving you, uh, is there a difference in giving? <laughs> yeah. And I would really be interested to to have that conversation <laughs> at some point. No, I mean that's that that that's real talk. Again, uh, from the HBCU perspective, in my experience, the 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 selling point, uh, the you engage traditionally, you engage from the historical reason why the HBCU was uh, created to mm -hmm. to to educate free slaves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we've heard that narrative, and that narrative, believe me, is extremely important. But I don't know if that's necessarily resonating with later generations or, or, or you know, younger generations right now. And so there's mm -hmm. got to be another narrative to support that narrative as well. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and Daryl, I think I heard you trying to jump in there. Were you? Did you have a thought on that? Well, well you know, so so I, I'll I'll give this example. I think so. We actually just uh, I was I had a, had a student in my office today that was talking about that they took an attorney spring break trip. Now we took some students to look at understanding the whole complexity of the Gullah Geechee culture, 
And we also got them, got them a chance to understand the impact of the transatlantic slave trade and that when they look at 40 percent of all slaves that enslaved Africans that came to the United States came through a Charleston port. Mm-hmm. And so so um, another young lady who went down on just a service trip that the university set up to go down to some low economic social economic neighborhood in Charleston, I asked her, did they give them context? She said, no. I said, then how do you go? So you swoop in to work with some kids down there and you not understand the structural context. Right. And I think, I think that's what we're working on. Is how do we give folks the context? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. going in and saying, we now want you to unleash what you think you have and not give any context. So I think it keeps people sometime of in staying in what I call relief giving that I mm-hmm. have to enough of my time, sometimes my talent that might make me feel good, but it may not do anything to sustain something for a long period of time. And I think that's regardless of what the donor may look like. Right. I think we all right. find ourselves that we got to go through this continuum that I think about uh, Mary Reynolds backup foundation, who everybody looks at as being this really social justice foundation. They didn't necessarily start out there. They had them mm. all there. So we got to help folks who start out giving people food, shelter, clothing, or that's the issue, to think about how they can how they do that, not out of surplus, but out of a out of some type of substance of what they stand for. Yes, absolutely, and it's and for me, I know in my my own fundraising, I I always try to go from a position of empowering people, um, letting them know that your gift is making a difference and. Uh, to be honest with you, the larger gifts that, that I've closed have, have have been those gifts that are with an eye towards a vision. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what do you want to see happen as a result of this gift? And, and you do have to take people along a continuum to say, you know, right now uh, we, we have an, a need for emergency funding. Uh, and then the next conversation or the next gift may be, you know, we need to, to build some legs. We need to be sustainable. We need to make sure that we're here and strong. Mm-hmm. And then the next conversation may be, this is what our aspirations are. This, these are what our dreams are. Exactly. Will you invest in those things? So, you know, taking people along a continuum, I think, has a tremendous value. Because at the end of the day, um, you talk to most people from the, the foundation world. You talk to most people from the individual giving world. It's about relationships. And it's about um, building strong, solid relationships where there is mutual respect for for the recipient and the giver. She did a presentation um, on black philanthropy uh, titled A Nickel and a Prayer, uh, Origins of Black Giving, A Conversation to Demystify. Were there any pearls or any uh, particularly... uh, uh, transformative nuggets, if you will, that you walked away from that conversation with? You know, what, what I'll say is, um, you know, I, I, I said it jokingly before, but in all seriousness, um, this is Brother Darrell's wheelhouse, and he's been doing uh, this work on the foundation side uh, and in the community for a long time. So for him to allow me to be part of that, um, there were several nuggets, too many to, to, to list, even though I was a co-presenter. Uh, uh-huh. I also, anytime I, I'm, I'm around this brother, I, I, I'm always learning as well. 
Um, and so, again, you know, when we talk about demystifying philanthropy and, and, and getting a better understanding of what it has looked like in the past and the impact that it has had and, and what we need to do moving forward um, has really, have really, again, inspired and motivated me to, to want to work more with him and, and kind of be a, be a, not kind of, but be a cheerleader um, mm-hmm. in, in helping to, to, to move this ball down the field. Um, one of the re- realizations for me also is that somehow or another, we have separated the idea of black philanthropy from strategic economic development. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, and I think a lot of times when we talk in terms of philanthropy, we talk about it either from a crisis situation or a purely compassionate, compassion giving. Okay, but I think in in terms when we look at the the, the state of our communities, what's going on uh, in in in, uh, in the economy, that whole philanthropic process are the seeds that give birth. To, to small business, entrepreneurs, yeah. large institutions. And we've got to reconnect that. We have mm-hmm. got to reconnect that. And so this whole idea of being strategic uh, and building off the, the old, but also, like, as you said, the word you use, having a bigger vision mm-hmm. uh, for the mm-hmm. future. So I, I'll stop there. I know I, t- I, I talked a lot more than I expected. <laughs> Go ahead, Daryl. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> Daryl. Yeah. Well, so I, I think that the 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 nuggets or the takeaway for me one is is, is to be able to share in the conversation um, with with a brother like 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 Vince. So you know, as much as he might prop me up, um, I've done I've done a lot of this thinking in isolation, and it's mm. it's such a it's such a, a a beauty and a privilege to be able to unpack it. With, with someone, one, that has a similar cultural frame of reference. Mm. And so it helps to expand it. I, I recognize what I'm lifting up was something that Daryl didn't do. It was, it, was, it was part of remembering my own upbringing and just now just bringing it, making it more visible because I think there's some consensus stories. People connect to these stories because it begins to get them to think about how they made it over. Right. And, and so I think that the one nugget is when you start to see how ordinary people can move into these given paths, giving highways, and have their own impact, and it not defined by some institution. So, so mm-hmm. for example, the pizza guy, I forgot where he was, where homeless people were coming in, one pizza, and then he got people to come in and start leaving a dollar or two dollars every day for people could come off the street and get free pizza. Mm. Not rocket science, but look how powerful it is. Right. 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 That's that's to me. If we get more of those examples out there to ordinary working class folks, I think we can move this thing a little bit. But we we, we have barriers because the institutions that are sometime in the business of giving and asking can put up some artificial barriers. Yeah. That psychologically get people to check out. Mm hmm. So that's, I agree. I agree 100% with that. And I think that's what's happened. A lot of people have psychologically checked out. Right. And, and you talk about breaking down those barriers. I think some of that 
we may be seeing some of that with with things like the GoFundMe campaigns, you know, how people are utilizing social media um, to do some grassroots, hey, my neighbor needs a hand kind of thing. And they're they're using those tools to to really break down some of those barriers and, and get past the, the intimidation that has, or the false intimidation that's been put up um, by the belief that this thing has to be so institutionalized. So I, I certainly agree with both of you brothers, and I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to learn from you over the years and to to have you on this segment of Right to Bear Arms. I I, I just am, I always learn something new when I talk to you and I'm, I'm freshly inspired <laughs> every time we have conversations about this topic. And, and I want you to know that you have another voice that uh, is joining the conversation or that is, is continuing the conversation. So, you know, with, with our voices together and those around the country and around the nation who are talking about this, um, uh, eventually, I think we're gonna we're gonna see some real change and some real movement in this area. Yeah. Quick, quick yeah. Story. So one I, quick story before we go it was interesting. I was <laughs> to a, a talk show today, and they were talking about this particular mm-hmm. institution over in Israel, and they mm-hmm. have what is the equivalent uh, in this particular building. They have the equivalent of what they describe as a reverse ATM machine. Okay, mm-hmm. where you put money in. That goes that uh, that goes to a specific cause oh, <laughs> rather than taking money. <laughs> and I said, "Wow, man, what an idea! If we could have those set up on HBCU campuses, you know, yes. focus if people walk by. Here's your opportunity to stick a dollar or two or, or ten or twenty in mm-hmm. in other institutions. Mm-hmm. So, innovation yeah. and passion are key. Yes, exactly." Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daryl, any any parting words from you as well? Well, I, I, I'm hopeful, and I keep, I remain hopeful that we can um, reinvigorate this conversation around philanthropy in our communities, especially in the midst of when we're lifting up. Like we had this conversation today, where when you lift up a lot of the, the diversity among folks of color, what we see tend to happen is the darker hue story still does not get told. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that this conversation about philanthropy, from my perspective, continues to get lifted up because it doesn't di- marginalize or diminish other people's impact. It just lifts up our impact and lets folks know we have a lane in this, too. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. So that's what I, that's what I hope. And I, I really applaud you for bringing, bringing using you know, technology to bring light to this conversation because it's not enough conversations happening at this level. A lot of the institutions are trying to structure it, but they but they lay the same what I'd call European lens on it. And so all it is is still talking about the same old stuff and they're not unpacking the onion. Right. They're not peeling back the layers and and it's about making it accessible for people and and engaging more voices in the conversation because they we we all deserve to be heard and we all deserve to have our perspectives uh respected and and acknowledged in this conversation because we all have the capability and the possibility of making a difference over the course of the past few years i've listened to this episode a few times 
And I've learned a lot. Not only have I learned a lot from Halima about philanthropy and, and just how important philanthropy can be to communities, but I've listened back to this episode a few times and I've really locked in on Daryl and Vince and how much depth there is to understanding how different philanthropy can be in the black community. It's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing, it's a thing. It just is what it is and it's so rooted in history and it's rooted in a history that has a lot of adversity to it. But then also there's a lot of power and the thing that I've really taken from this interview over the course of the years is you can have one person, you can have 50, you can have 10,000 people with a vision, but there's got to be a vision. And that vision is what powers the philanthropy to happen. Now, of course, in a perfect world, if, if, if there were no need for philanthropy, that would be great. I mean, the, the tragedy is that there's a need for it in the first place. But the, the effort that Vince and Daryl put into educating people about the need for strategy, uh, thoughtfulness, uh, having some context, that was a big thing that stood out to me also. Uh, when Daryl talked about the importance of context, and it reminds me a lot of public relations. When I was a PR director, I learned a very valuable lesson. You cannot accomplish anything if you are constantly on your heels. So in PR, if you are arguing from a standpoint of having to defend yourself constantly, you're not going to win the PR battle because all you're doing is responding to attacks. You're just responding, 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 and you're not executing your strategy. And that is what Vince and Daryl were talking about. If you're constantly as a community at a point where you're giving just to keep the lights on, if you're giving just to survive, it's going to be hard to execute a vision for better things ahead. It's going to be hard to even think about better things ahead. Take this podcast, this episode, episode eight, and share it with people who you are in a community with, people you are working with to build a community. It could be your fellow church members, your fellow HBCU alumni. It could be your fellow black student union people from the college or university that you graduated from. If it was a predominantly white institution, your fraternity members, your sorority members, your fellow Masons, your fellow Eastern stars and discuss it. Talk about what it is that you need to do to get ahead of the game again. I can't thank you enough for downloading this episode of For Our Edification, but I have got to remind you that wherever you get an opportunity, give us some comments, give us some feedback, please, and rate this episode or rate the entire podcast. And again, share it with your friends. This has been the Right to Bear Arms segment featuring Halima Lee Francis. I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you for downloading this episode of For Our Edification. Have a good one.